Hello and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson. And we're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And this is the podcast that will help you to find some of the joy in parenting and ditch some of that awful guilt and worry. Absolutely. And help get rid of some of that anxiety and have much more fun. First of all, just thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We've been doing it for six months now, so I suppose you could say our baby is six months old. But we have loved getting to know you whilst being on a mission to help you have more fun in your parenting journey. We wanted to create an episode that gives you the most useful lessons from this first six months. You're going to hear some realistic parenting tips around sleep, nutrition and young children's behaviour. I suppose and because our ethos here at My First Five Years is all about being a realistic parent, Let's start with top tips around handling challenging behaviour. Okay, Alistair, so why don't we try and come up with five parenting hacks to support parents with their children's challenging behaviour? Okay, number one for me would be don't say don't. That's a biggie. (laughs) Try and find other ways or other words to use instead of don't Ah, because you're starting with a negative. Right. So you're just making it easy for a child to be defiant because you've immediately given them something that they now want to do. Number two, preemptive praise. And that's basically just saying something good and positive before the behaviour happens. So when you feel it coming on or if you're preempting it, then just say something positive about the child, the environment, the situation, because that's often enough to head it off at the pass. So give us an example of preemptive praise. You're playing with that toy really well. I love the way you've built that Oh, your picture's lovely. Tell me something about what you've done. I love the way you're sitting at the table holding your knife and fork. All of those things just preempt what might be coming next. And as you say, if often it's about craving a bit of attention, then they're proactively getting that attention and that might just help in the moment. Yeah. So number three, give choice. As children are developing, they need that opportunity to be able to demonstrate or express a preference. So the more choices you can give them that allow them to take control, the less meltdowns you might have. So examples might be at food time, saying which plate would you like, what cup would you like. They're much less likely to have a meltdown about being given the wrong cup if they've been involved in picking a cup. Absolutely. Love it. Number four, stay calm. Really hard one, really, really hard one. But again, I think as parents, we've got to be proactive in acknowledging that this is all about development and that might help us to stay a little bit calmer. But just trying to take a breath and also step outside the situation sometimes helps you to tackle it in a more ingenious way than in the moment. Yeah, I think, as you say, it is a hard one, but it is the most effective thing. If you can be the calm in the situation, it's going to help bring the dial down. And then... What about number five, being realistic? Like we say all the time in my first five years, it's all about being a realistic parent. So sometimes you will think, oh, I stepped in before that behavior happened. I put in place a strategy. I'm a best parent ever. And other times it'll all go disastrously wrong and everybody end up crying. But (laughs) that's the joy of parenting. But I think what it's about is sharing your experience, reflecting and just thinking about how you can do it better. I think a takeaway I'd love you to have from this is that we're not alone you're not alone and that every parent is going through this you know children do not come into this world perfectly behaved and stay perfectly behaved they come into this world crying (laughs) and you know they've got an opinion (laughs) right from the get-go and 
the more we can understand, the more we can reframe what we see, the more we can respond in a way that's going to help the situation or escalate the situation. But the more as well that we can share our stories truthfully and and stop pretending to be this perfect parent and and stop aspiring to perfect children because it just doesn't exist. And talk to your peers, talk to your family. And of course, if you are ever concerned about your children's behaviour, then speak to a healthcare professional. Absolutely. Share your experience because if we all did a bit more of that, it would normalise what is normal parenting. You can check out our social media too for lots of quick tips and hacks around parenting in the naught to five years. One of my favourite learnings was around how to feed under fives. Mm. It's such a high stress area of raising a child. In the episode called Avoid Mealtime Meltdowns, we invited children's dietitian Lucy Upton onto the podcast to discuss food and how to tackle some of the common issues that crop up with young children like fussy eating. I loved how Lucy took the stress out of mealtimes by reframing the basics. So Lucy, before we get into some of the specific challenges, what are the basics that we should know about feeding our children healthy and nutritious food? I love that this is basics and you could sit here and have me talk for an hour on the basics. (laughs) However, with that in mind, I think the first thing I would always say to parents is that this this nutrition noise I've alluded to already and, and all of these sort of expectations about feeding children is that often it can become very overcomplicated and it doesn't actually need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's, there's kind of two things for me that are, that are important to consider. So the first is that we can't just treat children like little adults. So whilst we want them to share the same sorts of foods as us, we need to be really conscious that actually they are growing and developing rapidly, especially in those first, you know, one and two years and through the toddler years and that their nutrition needs, so without getting too specific, things like nutrients like iron and calcium and things like that are basically very, very transient and will change in terms of how much a child needs in certain age groups and why. And and that's all essentially to get them ready for adult life. So calcium requirements, for example, go up, you know, rapidly in adolescence because kids are growing really fast. Iron requirements are really, really high in the toddler years because they need to be learning, growing, concentrating and doing all of these things, which requires, you know, really good blood flow around the body and and they don't want to be tired and lethargic. And so I think when you when you get back to basics, it's going, okay, what do we as a family? What are our habits? How do we how do we choose to eat? However, that might be. And how can we apply that to our kids with some small adaptations to make sure that they're getting what they need? And it really, really doesn't have to be complicated. So if you're thinking about, you know, mealtime routines, children need to eat quite regularly. So generally we'd say three, three main meals like we often all have and maybe two to three snacks a day. Although, you know, that said, you'll find some children are really good at dinners and less bothered by snacks. And other children mm-hmm. who seem to do a little bit better when they're sort of eating little and often. Um, and then you need to just make sure that you're you're planning in variety. And what I mean by variety is that your child necessarily isn't eating just lots of foods from one food group. And and again, this is quite similar to us as adults. You know, I probably yeah. wouldn't sit here and say, have a plate of pasta three times a day, every day, and everything will ju- be just fine. You know, we talk about balancing meals with fruit and vegetables and protein-rich foods and including some healthy fats. So it's all of those sort of kind of rules. I actually hate the word rules. All of those recommendations <laughs> still apply, but... It's about thinking, what is, is there anything specific my child needs during these stages? And I know right we're going to talk about yeah. weaning and we're going to talk about fussy eating, so I can touch on those. 
But the crux of it is to keep it simple. You know, I always say mealtimes, have you got an energy providing food for your child, like a starchy carbohydrate, bread, rice, pasta, potato, chapati, whatever it might be? Have you got some kind of iron or protein rich food, like meat, fish, eggs, beans, something like that? And have you got some fruit and veg in there? But again, mm-hmm. without the complicated stuff, I don't know about you guys, but I see all of these... Um, like, you know, what my toddler eats in a day or these bamboo plates full of full of these fantastic meals. And I just think, oh my gosh, it doesn't actually need to be this complicated. Like they don't need four different vegetables on the plate for a meal to be balanced. Like mm-hmm. fish fingers, potato wedges and peas is a balanced meal. Like that's absolutely fine. I think that's, that's really important because a lot of parents feel a lot of guilt and especially yeah. in our Instagram culture that you're suddenly seeing yeah. somebody who's made a meal that looks like a reenactment of Jurassic Park. Oh God, I know. Dinosaur saved sandwiches and Eggs. broccoli trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we're all inadequate. And actually what yeah. you're saying is, you know, if you've got those food groups and it's yeah. good, nutritious food, yeah. then, you know, a balanced meal can be lots of different things. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the thing that takes you an hour to prepare and your child, you know, two minutes to eat no absolutely not and it also doesn't have to be the expensive stuff um there's there's Mm -hmm. a big push i often see in kind of like particularly in the young children and child arena you know you don't have to buy organic i'm going to put that out there right now and you don't have to buy the most expensive of everything because that inherently doesn't mean it's a better quality at all you know i'm a big advocate for you know using tinned fruit tinned vegetables frozen fruit frozen vegetables frozen fish and meat you know because the other thing is that there, we know that there's huge pressures for providing these balanced meals, but actually, you know, they, it costs a fair amount to feed kids, doesn't it? And it's nothing more disheartening when it all ends up in the bin at the end anyway, because they don't fancy eating today. So again, I'd say, you know, doesn't you don't have to spend loads and, and wherever possible, if you can adapt what you're eating as a family, mm-hmm. life will become so much easier. Yeah. And less stressful. I remember when stressful. my eldest, who's now 23, was a baby and our firstborn. Yeah. My wife boiling bone broth to make yeah. into mashed up little ice cubes. And we went to the childminder. We took little ice cubes in a tray yeah. that were all kind of organically mashed. And it took hours, hours. and hours to make. Yeah. And actually, there was stuff that you could get in a really good quality yeah tin or jar that was probably just as good and a way less stressful but that was not about nutrition that was about us feeling we were doing the best exactly parenting job and I we've both independently had three children (laughs) there's no way she was still boiling broth by the (laughs) (laughs) village no that's very very true you can have this pasta I'm gonna boil this pasta in three minutes yeah Yeah. no and I think this is it is that it doesn't need to be I think there's pressure for it to be isn't there and it becomes a bit of a comparison trap I mean, you know, I see parents who really, really, you know, I'd say one of the biggest phrases parents come to me with is, I'm worried they're not getting enough. And it always makes me smile because I go, enough of what? Mm-hmm. And actually, lots of people don't know what they mean when they say enough. Yeah. They, they think they mean nutrients, but they don't know which one, or they is it enough to grow? Has somebody helped them interpret their growth, you know, a child's growth correctly? I think there's all of these pressures. And then I think you then times it by how many times you have to feed your kids in a day, which what could be five or six times. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We've done a whole podcast on what we've termed comparanoia, yes. which is exactly what you're talking exactly about. In that. every element of parenting, it creeps in, whether it, it be the food, whether it be, you know, the activities you've done with them that day, the clothes they wear in. It's just crazy. And it's our passion and clearly yours as well to remove some of this anxiety by just taking a more common sense approach yeah. and simplifying it back down to the basics. Yeah, but it's absolutely. that quality information about, because you could say, well, I'm going to give my child six meals a day and give them six bags of crisps, which exactly. wouldn't be healthy for everybody. So it's no. about that idea of 
finding out what is, as you talked about, the kind of guidelines about good nutrition that's yeah. going to feed what your child needs, but then keeping it simple and keeping the stress out. Because I think a stressed parent, we well, we know a stressed parent makes a stressed child. And I know when we talk about things like fussy eating later on, when you're getting anxious about what your child isn't eating, that anxiety just creeps out across oh, the dinner table into we'll talk about that mm-hmm. it, it creeps yeah. into what i call com- compensatory like feeding behaviors we try and fix we really mm-hmm. really try and fix but often the things that with the best intentions we use to try and fix are the things that actually to be honest make it snowball <laughs> and yeah. and it, it could be really hard you know it's it, fuss eating is an interesting topic because it's a lot less often about the kids and a lot more about how we yeah. understand where a child's at developmentally at that stage and how we support that yep Whilst it may seem like a long time ago now, Mm -hmm. many of you got in touch to talk about concerns you had around your young child's development during and after COVID-19 lockdowns. So things like separation anxiety, as well as your concerns about play and development of things like mental health and well-being. So remember, you can find a full episode on all of that. We called it The Impacts of Lockdown on Babies and Young Children, and that will be in your podcast feed. But here's a little extract with some helpful tips. So Alistair, briefly recapping on the impact of children and also the longer term impact, what are your thoughts? I think we are still learning about the impact of the pandemic on children who were born or had a significant part of their early years during it. From what we know so far, I think it is that there are some positives in that, yes, children will have missed some experiences during COVID, all children who were in the pandemic will have missed those experiences, but they're not missed for life. They just need to have more opportunity to access those experiences now, and that will help them to build those skills. So I think important that as parents, we are asking those questions of anywhere that we are taking our children for their care, but also that we are aware of that as parents and trying to give them lots of opportunities to try and fill those gaps. Yeah. And I guess with our app, we meet children where they are and then help parents with what's next. And it's that sort of idea of meeting these children wherever they may be based on whatever experience they had and then just having strategies to build from there. Yeah, because everything we're talking about is developmental and therefore development for some children is faster in some areas than Mm -hmm. it is for others. So we can't put a time limit on it. We can't say if you do this for the next six weeks then. What we're saying is we're recognising that there are worldwide gaps in child Mm -hmm. development. We're recognising what the solutions are Mm -hmm. and it may take some children longer than others, but there are solutions that we can put in place that really will support them with that development. Fabulous. So Alistair, could we finish by just looking at five easy hacks that will help parents and lockdown babies? Yeah, I'm not sure this is necessarily easy, but number one is parental expectations. So Keep well informed as a parent, but also appreciate that development takes time. Uh, Number two, try and get your baby or child into as many social situations as you can, both with adults and with their peers. Number three, simple games around executive function. So any memory games you can find like Lotto, Kim's Game, I Spy, Simon Says, playing those on a regular basis will really help train their brains and fill those gaps. Number four, Have a shared strategy with any outside carer, whether that be preschool, nursery or school, that's going to be looking after your child. And number five, through patience and a play-based approach, we can really fill a lot of those gaps that the pandemic created with children's development. 
that is all really good to hear. And I think as a parent, what's nicest of all is that we have gone through, I don't know, such unprecedented times. But the key message is, yes, of course, children have been through something. It is going to have an impact. But through patience and play, we're going to get there. That episode was a little while ago, so I presume lots of very clever people have been carrying on looking at the impact of COVID on young children. So what's the latest research telling us? So yeah, there's more research that's coming out all of the time that recognises that yes, children went through something during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and for some of them that resulted in gaps in their learning. But there's lots and lots of things we can do to give them more experience of the things that they might have missed out that will really help to fill those gaps. Amazing. So the tips that we gave before still stand. Absolutely of course one of the biggest for all parents is sleep right from having a newborn through to a baby toddler and the preschool years we invited sleep expert lauren peacock to give us some tips about realistic expectations for sleep how to create a bedtime routine and as this next listener asks how to get them out of your bed if you need to so interesting to follow on from that, we've had a question from Gemma that is about my one-year-old that will now only sleep if he is in bed with her. And is that okay? Or should she be working to get him back into his bed? Or is I think the question was actually, how do I get him out? I think she's fairly keen <laughs> yeah. that that's changed. Yeah, I, was, I was trying to soften the question slightly. <laughs> And that's always the first question. Do you want him out? Because much more of the world bed share than don't. Yes, I know. Having a separate bed or a separate room for our child is quite a Western Mm -hmm. luxury, actually. So all children who bed share will eventually move on their own. So if it's working for a family, it's fine to keep them where they are. But if maybe mum's not sleeping well or little one's not sleeping well or there's another baby on the way or parents just want to move their little one out again it's that thing of give yourself permission to make that choice but give your toddler permission to feel however they need to feel about that you've got to decide what you're doing if that's putting your little one into their own room stick with it support your child through that adjustment period expecting that there will be an adjustment period because why would a one-year-old want to move Mm -hmm. there's not a particular reason for for him to do that but it's okay to ask a toddler to do something that they don't particularly want to do it doesn't mean they're not capable of doing it it doesn't mean they won't adapt really well i think what you're saying is it has to work best for the entire family because a sleep deprived adult is not going to be the best carer that they can be if there's something they can do to change that I think also there are things we can do if we make a decision that we are going to move our one-year-old into their own, own room or whatever we do, but having some, not just doing it overnight and saying there you are, you're in a bed now, but having really positive strategies around making it a exciting, engaging, you know, something that the child is going to buy into rather than just as something that happens to that child. Yeah, I always kind of think of it as being loving and kind. And some of the strategies that I read about just don't feel loving and kind. And it's interesting to maybe unpick that a little bit because we can't talk about sleep without going there, I don't think. No, absolutely. And we carry mammals at the end of the day. And so babies are born with a biological blueprint of how to survive. And part of that is stay close to the people who are bigger and stronger than Mm -hmm. you and can look after you. 
But we're also the only carry mammals who drive cars, operate machinery, go to work outside the home. So we have different demands on us, which absolutely, as you say, Alistair, might necessitate changing your sleeping arrangements at home. So we want to make a a child of any age, but particularly a toddler, we want them to feel part of a team. Mm -hmm. The team gets new information, like we're going on holiday, we're moving house, you're going to be sleeping in your own room. We give them a little bit of advance warning. We don't expect them to sit there and say, brilliant, this sounds amazing, but we can still be respectful in making that change. Mm -hmm. We can talk it up a little bit in advance so that it's not a surprise when it happens. Children understand more at every age and stage than they can communicate. So tell them it's happening, whether you think they'll understand or not. Um, invest them in the process, maybe let them make some age-appropriate choice, choose some bedding, choose a special bedtime soft toy, leverage any visits from uh, family or friends to see their new room, isn't it brilliant? And when the time comes, support them until they feel comfortable sleeping in that room. A child will learn that their own bed is a really safe place to be, but that independence in sleep comes from real dependence at the start and being supported to to feel it's safe i think also and still expect that even though you've done all that groundwork and it's been really positive and through the daylight hours the child is like yes i love my room it's going to be great when it gets to bedtime there is a good chance they're going to say now you're all right now a hundred percent children are at their least adaptable at bedtime they're tired they're a toddler yeah Toddlers are not the most reasonable on their uh, in their best moments. Um, so yes, there, there might be some frustration, confusion. I want to do it in a different way. In the same way you see a toddler sometimes on the floor of the supermarket screaming because they can't have yeah. chocolate biscuits. There might be some resistance. It's not our job to take those feelings away or to tell our child that they should want what we want you might as well ask for the moon on a stick why would they Um, but that again doesn't mean that you can't support them to get positively to the other side of those feelings i think also for parents it's good to know that some of that is biological so the cognitive development of children they don't have the cognition to allow them to really access those higher order thinking skills of kind of reasoning and forward planning so if your child does behave in that way they're not just being obstinate they are actually functioning in a really typical way that a child of that age functions i remember when two of our boys shared a room and i think when the youngest one was about four we redid the loft at great expense and moved him in they had a fish tank and all sorts and he loved it then the first night and for about a month afterwards every night he came back downstairs and got back into bed with his older brother and it took age eventually he was fine with it and loved it Uh, but at the time it was you know it was a difficult process because it was a transition it was awkward It is, and transitions are tricky. And one of the ways that children get better at handling those feelings of frustration, confusion, um, disappointment, is by feeling them in a way that is safe and resolves positively. So it's supporting our children through those, those big feelings and through those tricky moments that actually starts to help them over time as their brain develops to build some resilience to, to deal with those situations. I know I would have loved to have heard that information when mine were little. Yeah, me too. You can hear more of that episode. It's called Getting Your Child to Sleep Through the Night. It's a good one. And last but not least, we want to remind you that it is more than okay to be a realistic parent. There will always be good days and bad days in Parentsville. And the chances are that you are doing a much better job than you think. 
To reflect that, here are our top five tips on being a realistic parent. Let's just recap what we've said today about realistic parenting. Well, I think it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Realistic parenting is about having a realistic view of what it is to be a parent. The good bits, the not so good bits, and the really not so good bits. And the fact that you try and make your parenting fit your lifestyle, your personality, and your children's personality. Base it around the science and the research that's available to us so you're doing things that will benefit your child, but in a way that suits you as a family. Yeah, it's got to work for everybody. Yeah. So Alistair, I'm going to quick fire five Uh scenarios that come up on a regular basis and you can tell us how being a realistic parent is going to help. Okay, I'll do my best. You ready? Go on. One, a meltdown in Tesco's. Okay, for me, a realistic parent would acknowledge that there will be a sense of embarrassment, discomfort potentially, but also knowing the science would acknowledge that their child can only tantrum if they've reached a certain level of cognitive development. So it's actually a celebration that your child's brain is growing. Two, they never leave me in peace when I go to the loo. Always the case. And partly that's because they love you. And partly it's also because children develop a thing called object permanence, where they can't believe an object exists if they can't see it. And you are an object. So therefore, they will come into the toilet just to make sure that you're still there. Three, my child keeps asking why, 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 why. When you ask a question, you normally get a response. And also, children are reaching a stage in their development where they're just fascinated with the world, so they're just full of questions. So it's usually a phase, doesn't last very long, so embrace it while it lasts. Number four, and I'm going to be kind here and say tall stories, when what I really mean is when your kiddie tells a lie. Oh, and it's devastating the first time they lie. It's just devastating. But actually, you're a realistic parent will feel a sense of devastation, being let down, betrayal. But actually... <laughs> you're being very dramatic yeah, now, Alistair. No, but I'm thinking back to it, never mind. But um, <laughs> when children lie, you have to have a level of creativity to be able to invent something that is a non-truth. And also, the best lies have a large element of truth in them. So children who are really good liars are also performing at a very high cognitive level. So again, celebrate the fact that your child can lie to you. I think think you've been a bit unrealistic there, Alistair. We'll have to unpick that one another time. Absolutely. So number five, my kitty is just on one today and I'm really beginning to struggle. I think, again, a realistic parent would acknowledge that as children's emotions get high, you as a human being also are an emotional being. So therefore, you will also have you know, positive and negative emotions. So partly it's about recognizing that and trying to have strategies for if you are really feel like you're reaching the top of your boiler and there's no capacity left, <laughs> what can you do to alleviate your own high level of emotion before you go and support your child? Yeah, so a bit like on the aircraft when you put the air mask on yourself before you help anybody else, it's that sort of mentality of yeah. what do I need to do for me first so that I can come and help you? Easily said, not always easily done. Absolutely. Good to aspire to. We got such lovely feedback from the Realistic Parenting Podcast, which is such a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I just think those affirmations that we're out there doing our best and and setting those realistic expectations of what it's all about and sharing the realistic stories makes such a difference to parents. Thanks for listening. We will be back in two weeks' time with lots of tips and advice around travelling with babies and young children. But do get in touch if you've got any questions for us or if there's something you'd like us to chat about on our podcast. You can post questions on our Facebook community or on Instagram and you'll find us at My First Five Years with the five written out. 
If you want to read more on all the topics we've covered so far, you can download the My First Five Years app from the App Store. You can also get this podcast direct to your feed by pressing the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. Just press follow. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it and we'll see you in two weeks' time.